2: Hello and welcome to the Switzer Show. I'm Peter Switzer. I'm joined by my colleague Paul Rickard, who's just come back from was it was it twenty five weeks overseas? It seemed like it. Yes, yeah, something like twenty five <laughs> weeks, Peter,
3: and when you come back you find so few things have changing. People are still talking about housing Crashes, yeah, you crashes. know, yeah. and Armageddon, M. Um, Armageddon, a 40% fall or something that some people are predicting. So yeah. I think one of our guests is going to pick that up. Uh, yeah, exactly. I think right. The other thing that's interesting to note is, of course, we've got the Aussie dollar been under a bit of pressure, but really, mm. you know, testing 70 cents. But, uh, you know, at the same time, we're seeing this, this worldwide sort of movement into US dollars, which mm. is putting pressure on lots of currencies like ours. And, mm. uh, you know, that's probably the thing that's changed. Uh, in the sort of the, only the three weeks, Peter, not yeah. the 25 weeks. <laughs> I haven't had the pleasure of joining you in this podcast. Well, I guess you would have felt it the poor, the, the currency weakening while you're away. Yeah, look, it weakened a little bit. But look, it hasn't, uh, despite the headlines, it hasn't moved that much against the euro and the pound and, and, mm. the, co- and the yen. But yeah. look, if you re- read the ABC story the other day, this is sort of, you know, two-year lows for the Aussie. And it is against the US dollar. But it is, as I said, part of the... You know, around the world money is flowing into the US economy and uh, I think our first guest is going to talk about that Exactly
2: well. right. So we're going to talk to Frank Gilbert from BIS Oxford Economics about whether we really should be worried about a 40% house price for, which I don't think he, he will say yes to. And then we're going to talk to a lady by the name of Rochelle Courtney who uh, has a fantastic um, charity, really helping a lot of women who are living on the streets and that, that's a very, very... It's a sad story, which I think she's made a lot happier mm-hmm. for lots of people who live on the streets. And then we get to um, meet a guy who won $10,000 courtesy of Switzer. Isn't it nice that uh, we can
3: have a winner for the Switzer Dividend Growth Fund and yeah. uh, be able to do that? So yeah. it'd be great to hear how what his sort of investment appetite is and uh, also what he's doing with his portfolio. So yeah. we don't know a lot about him, but no. it's great to be able to say there's a winner. And, uh, yeah. and mm-hmm.
2: we have to think of the next time when we throw $10,000 out there for someone to invest in the Switzerland Growth Fund. But we'll talk about that later, Paul. So without any further ado, let's go and talk to Frank Gilbert, arguably one of the best property economists in the country from BIS Oxford Economics. Frank Gilbert, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Peter. Now, Frank, there's two big issues a lot of Australians are caring about right now. One is the Aussie dollar, and one is all these stories about a 40% house price fall. Let's start with the easy one first: the Aussie dollar. What's your? Oh, that was the hard one. (laughs) What's your take, mate? Is it going to go under 70 into the 60s?
4: Um, look, I would cheer all the way down, basically, because that's the key component of Australia's competitiveness against the rest of the world, and and it was the thing that we lost when the mining boom was on and why we lost our trade-exposed industries, and now we're at just getting to a level at which we'll get it back. So we reckon that the dollar is competitive in, let's call it, the uh, 60 to 72 cent range, and we're just hitting the top of that range now, Mm. and so it was too high before, and this is good news. Will it go further? I'm not absolutely sure. I mean, what we have uh, is is not weakness of commodity prices. Weakness of commodity prices would take it lower. What we have is uncertainty related to, to trade issues. Uh, trade wars between China and America. And we, uh, people think we're going to get caught up in the wash.
3: Part, uh, of, the, uh, part look- of the weakness, Frank, with the Australian dollar, of course, has been the strength of the US economy, high U- US interest rates and a lot of money going into, into the US dollar. Just um, do you put sort of a bit of context as to why a lot of investors have been, have been wanting to effectively buy US dollars? Well, the US dollar, sorry,
4: the US economy is doing just fine. Remember, they had a financial crisis in recession 2008 and and they're really only now getting up to the investment phase of the recovery. It takes that length of time before we absorb the excess capacity created during the boom and start to get into the money end, if you like, of the economy. So U.S. has gone strength to strength over that whole period. Um, They're doing fine. Yeah. the economy's strong and employment rates low um and and it's not over yet though some people seem to think it is um it, it, they still have to get into the investment phase and that will take them higher that's why the dollar's so strong and why there's a lot of money going into america
2: so you don't see a recession in the US in 2020 as some economists are predicting no I heard you say that. Now let's go to the the scary part for Australians and house prices. Mm -hmm. And and this is an area, whenever I heard these silly forecasters saying 40% fall in house prices, I, I kept saying, I've got to talk to Frank Gilbert. Frank, is there any likelihood, high likelihood that this will happen?
4: No, of course not. I I think this was raised, the 40% decline story, in about 2013, (laughs) uh, before we basically doubled housing prices, Uh, and so now we will see some decline in housing prices, but we think it will be pretty orderly, order of magnitude 5 to 10, and some of the unit markets might go a little bit further, Mm. but there's nothing that would tell me it's going to collapse. Actually, APRA had an extraordinarily successful go at taking the head off the boom and moderating the cycle by pulling the rug out from under the housing finance market uh, for investors earlier in this cycle than others.
3: So why is there so much scary talk? Is it just people trying to get publicity or sell books or whatever it is?
4: Well, some people have just died in the world pessimists, and they they take anything as a sign of pessimism. And and look, the the people who've been saying it for the last five years are pretty much the same ones that are saying it now. There may be a few more, mm. but the reality is this cycle has now matured. We've been through a boom in housing prices, but more importantly in building activity. We will see a substantial fall in building activity, but not a calamity for prices. Mm.
2: And so, I, I guess the, the scary thing for for anyone in terms of the housing situation would be if unemployment started to rocket up to say eight or nine percent. But you know, you're an, you're an economist, and you're an economist who who told us not to worry about the you know the Asian. Um, the Asian uh, currency uh, problem in the late 1990s, Frank. Oh, uh, you remember that? I okay, remember that. Yeah. I remember even writing about. It. I thought I thought it was unbelievable. An economist who actually got something right. That was brilliant. But, but, but Frank, you know, w- what could drive house prices down worse than what you guys are predicting? It seems to me. If a a worldwide trade war created an unexpected recession and our unemployment got to, say, 10%, then we might see bigger house price falls. But we didn't even see that during the 1991 recession, did we?
4: Uh, No, we didn't. Um, Look, there's not going to be a recession, not now, for these reasons you're talking about. Yes, trade wars are a bit of a threat to the mining industries more than anything else. Um, but but we've been switching away from mining and towards trade exposed and services industries since the end of the mining investment part of the boom. And and so I, I can't see a recession coming in the near future, near future being three to five years. Mm. Uh, and yes, a recession would do damage on to people's capacity to pay their mortgages. And remember, we all geared up uh, on cheap interest rates, um, to a greater extent than we ever had before so the threat is there but the reality is that the banks will bend over backwards to try to prevent something like that mm. in anything but a most limited form. so they might abandon a few markets like they did surface paradise i think seven or eight years ago yeah. but um and maybe some of the high-rise markets will be a bit more difficult to finance and they're the stories we're getting at the moment but in general, in, in uh, Mortgage Belt Australia, people will sit on their hands and, and work it through, okay. and they'll be able to.
2: All right, before we go to the commercial uh, property market, there's one other area I, I think you would have thought through. Some experts keep saying... All of these people on interest only loans, when they roll off, they're going to be in difficult situations. Have you thought about that, Frank, to see whether it's as serious as these people are making out?
4: Well, it's a cash flow problem, hmm. but the banks have already been switching people from interest only to to principal and interest for some time and they'll continue that process and so they've they've been looking to take away the risk of the shock of the need to switch. Um, And interest rates for housing, while the banks are charging a bigger margin over the cash rate, say, Hmm. uh, the cash rate's going to stay low for a while yet. Partially because the Reserve Bank would be loath to threaten the housing market yeah. by raising these rates in an environment of low inflation and soft growth.
2: Yeah, and, I, I and that's actually,
4: what we've got for another two years.
2: I actually looked up the rates on the weekend. If I was on an interest-only loan and I had to switch to a, a um, principal variable, uh, a principal interest it was actually a lower rate. Yeah, it would be a lower rate. The actual actual monthly repayments were actually less as well. So it's not as big a worry as possible. Now, let's go to the area that you want to talk about, Frank, namely commercial property. Mm.
4: Well, I mean, it's really the question of investment. So at this stage, um, returns over the next five years are going to be a lot lower than they were in the last five Mm. Pretty much across the board. Remember, we've got, uh, we, in the last five, we've been boosted by falling bond rates, both overseas and here, leading to a firming of yields as people switched into equity style investments. Yeah. And so everything has performed really well for the last five years. And now, um, those opportunities aren't there anymore, particularly given that bond rates uh, will be rising over the next five years and that will lead to some softening of yields in markets where uh, there's some level level of uncertainty. Now that's not just property, that's also infrastructure and, uh, and share markets, and of course the bond market itself will be hit by capital losses if interest rates, bond rates go up. So returns are gonna be a lot lower and already the institutional investors have reduced their hurdle rates um, by about 2%, that's 200 basis points, over the last few years as they've realized that the potential investment returns over the next five years are going to be a lot lower and they have to invest. They can't just leave it you know, sitting under the mattress and there aren't the same sort of opportunities that we had before. Mm. Now, go to the commercial markets and we've got chalk and cheese amongst them. So everyone's uncertain about retail at the moment because all of a sudden they've discovered internet shopping in the form of Amazon and and the threat of Amazon Prime taking over from traditional style retailing. And so uh, you sort of stay away until the damage is done in that market Mm. because people are holding off investment. But in commercial property, we've got cycles operating Um, The strong markets are Sydney and Melbourne and possibly Canberra coming through a bit. The weak markets are Brisbane and Perth and Darwin as they absorb huge amounts of excess capacity created during the boom and I'd add Adelaide to the weak markets as well and so they're cyclical and we should invest with care but the best returns will be for Sydney and Melbourne commercial property and... and, uh, in the industrial markets all of a sudden we've got yields we've never seen before for industrial but it's a different product mm. and the, it's relatively steady state with very little cyclical speculative style activity and so we'll be building more industrial over the next five years as the economy slowly rebuilds um, from this weak environment.
3: So you're and right that, Frank is that Commercial property, Sydney, Melbourne, largely because of relative safety, relative security of uh, of rental return, and uh, you know a, a satisfactory and lack of development. Is that sort of the sort of the nub of the argument as to why you like Sydney and Melbourne commercial property?
4: Well, pretty much. I mean, Sydney. If you take it, it's not a question of strong demand. Demand is moderate at best, but supply is supply constrained. We've said, yeah, lack of supply. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> So we've got about three, three years of, of vacancy rates, about 3% in the Sydney market and the CBD, which will drive up rents and property values. We reckon by about 40 to 50% for Ooh, net geez. effective rents and property values, roughly, uh, and that's going to underwrite very strong returns. And so people come and say, well, it's risen by so much. In the last four years, Sydney commercial property has had a total return per annum of above... 20% each year, Gee. it's extraordinary, mm. must be over. Well, it's not. not. We're just now hitting the development phase. It was undervalued before and great opportunity. And now we hit the development phase and there's a lot more to run. Frank. Melbourne's different. Frank. Sorry. Go, go on, oh, go, yeah. Yeah. Go on Melbourne. hey. Melbourne's Melbourne's different. Now everyone's worried about building too much because there are a lot of projects on, on the books. Mm. Uh, And as those projects are completed, they think there'll be an oversupply. But we spend our lives counting demand and supply, and we're going to absorb that quite well. Melbourne's a solid demand market with less constraints on sites. Uh, And I don't know if you remember what happened in Barangaroo. Everyone went into a flat panic Mm. about the quantum of space, but there wasn't much. It was 300,000 square metres, which is just a year and a half's underlying demand for Sydney, and developers backed off. Now, if they back off in Melbourne, they'll run into a shortage in a few years' time. So, vacancy rates go up now to about seven percent in Melbourne, not drastic, uh, and then they come straight back down again um, because we'll end up not building enough in Melbourne. So, this cycle isn't over in either of those markets, and there'll be fairly strong rental growth to drive prices.
2: Well, Frank, as always, you allayed my fears, and I love to have a friend mm-hmm. who can count properties like you can, Frank Gilbert, BISX. Oxford Economics, thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Well, that was Frank Gilbert from BIS Oxford Economics, and it's now time for an ad break. And now, a word from our sponsors.
1: Have you got a home loan? Do you know what you're being charged? Check your rate, and if it's more than 3.89%, call us at Switzer Home Loans. Our rate for a variable home loan is 3.89%. That's right, 3.89% is all you'll pay. Interested? Call 1300-664-339 or Google Switzer Home Loans.
2: Now, here's Switzy. And of course, as we always say... When we're talking Switzerland home loans, that 3.89% is both the headline rate of interest and the comparison rate of interest, and the difference between the two, of course, are fees, and in this case, we don't have any fees or charges that make our headline and comparison rate vary. Now, our next guest is a lady by the name of Rochelle Courtney, who created a charity called Share the Dignity. Rochelle, thanks for joining us on the program. Oh, you're so very welcome. So, Rochelle, tell us about Share the Dignity.
5: Yeah, look, I started the charity in March 2015 after reading an article um, that I read online that talked about how many homeless women there were in Australia. And at that stage, there was a number of 44,000 women that didn't have somewhere safe to call home. But what I read further was they also didn't have... Um, access to sanitary items and I just couldn't believe that they were having to use socks and wadded up toilet paper and newspaper to deal with their period and that that was happening in our lucky country mm. um, just floored me and it kind of that's where it started.
2: So, so d- did you uh, have a business and you decided to, to open a charity or did you just start from scratch as an employee and created a charity?
5: No, look, I had my own businesses and for many years I still ran those businesses while I ran the charity. Mm. Um, So literally, I collected in my local area, I had a personal training business and I had my clients um, who were all female, if they drank a wine that month, they had to bring in a packet of pads or tampons. Well, Mm. I didn't have the best of clients, so I ended up with lots of packets of pads (laughs) and
2: tampons, unfortunately. Well, that was good for the people you were trying uh, to help,
5: Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, everything in moderation, right? So, yes. um Yeah, so I ended up with 450 packets of pads and tampons, but we had reflex boxes in our local counsellor's office and on my veranda. And, it, you know, we we gave them out to five different charities in our local area. And it wasn't like they lasted very long because um, it's not like we're giving a woman a warm jacket and it keeps mm. her warm for years. It's a monthly problem. And as, as I know now, the charities will say... Um, they're the last things to be donated, yet they're the first things to go. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I set up a Facebook page so that people knew where the product had gone off to. Um, and it was a couple of months before an, a friend who was working in a domestic violence shelter had called me and said, hey, do you have some more? And I, I hadn't really given it another, another thought. I said, oh, no, no worries. We'll collect some more. And it actually went quite viral. So Emra Sciano, Melbourne comedian, you know, also was one of those women who just went, oh, my God, I've never thought of that. How can this be happening? So in August 2015, little did I know that in order to be able to even collect pads and tampons, that you needed to have a registered charity. You needed to have licences and permits and a board of directors and a constitution <laughs> and all the bits that went with it. Um, yes. And I was lucky enough to... Um, you know, be able to be surrounded by amazing people that helped bring all of that together.
2: And so the charity itself, how, how many people have you got working with you nowadays?
5: Yeah, look, we've got um, 4,000 volunteers. They're women that we call shiros. Yep. We have a board of directors of eight and we have now five um, staff ranging from eight hours to 21 hours. A week.
2: Okay. And it it seems to me, from my reading, you've got lots of um, big businesses are now supporting you. Is that right?
5: Yeah. Look, I just don't think that there's anybody in Australia who wouldn't be empathetic to the fact that people are going without the very basic of necessities. And Mm. we've been really lucky to have Chemist Warehouse and National Storage and Cope Transport and um, Fernwood Fitness. There's just so many big muffin breaks, you know, so many big businesses that have said, you know what, we're, we're with you, we'll help you. And, and
2: so um, how many people are you helping nowadays? I guess you a rough head count.
5: Yeah, look, since we've started, we've now collected 1.5 million packets of pads and tampons, mm. which is just an extraordinary number, right? But yeah. if you look at that, that's in excess of $6 million in donations. So actual donations of pads and tampons, which means that um, we have paid $600,000 in GST on those luxury items that ironically women can't afford in the first place. So the removal of the tampon tax will actually see more donations and it will allow us to be able to to buy more for those that, that don't have access to them. Um, so we work with about 3,500 charities around Australia. So everyone from the Red Cross to Night ninjas who go out on the streets and actually give packs out to to, to people experiencing homelessness and and so forth. So, yeah, it's uh, it's, a, it's a big big logistical um, charity actually. So mm. whatever you donate gets given straight out to the charities that we work with, and at the end of the day to the to the women in need.
3: And, and Rochelle, this is a money program, so I'd be remiss of me not asking how can. Uh, People can, can you take money,
2: monetary donations, or do you is that what? Uh,
5: absolutely, so a how to. Yeah, um, absolutely. Well, so, you, you,
3: you take
2: money, Rochelle. <laughs> Gee, we're really yeah. surprised the charity would take yeah, money.
5: We are a charity, yeah. but we are a charity. So, I a couple of years designed um, a world first, it's a dignity vending machine. So, it's a vending machine that dispenses a free period pack that has two pads and six tampons in it, enough for what we deemed was enough for a day. Yeah. Um, we install them into uh, domestic violence homeless hubs and to into poverty-stricken schools. So it is real that in Australia some girls can't afford access to sanitary homes, so miss days of schools. And, you know, that's not right in Mm. the first place. So we have rolled out 60 of those vending machines and we've actually paid for another um, 30 um, that will be in before the end of the year, and they cost us $10,000 each. So in order to get them installed, we need money.
3: And and we're really lucky. How can people donate?
5: Yeah, so they can donate online. They can sponsor a machine. So every machine has, is sponsored by somebody, Mm. um, and their names are. Um, and they name the machine so um, but you can just head to our website and www.sharethedignity.com.au and donate whether it's five dollars or five thousand dollars it all goes towards making a difference
2: yeah and, and Rochelle you've been nominated for not-for-profit executive of the year award and just uh, t- tell my listeners what, what award um, you know um, system you, th- this comes out of
5: Sorry. Well, well I'm sure uh, who,
2: who is actually making the award, this not-for-profit executive award?
5: Um, financial Review.
2: Okay, the AFR. Is that, is uh, that what you mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, okay, so it's fantastic. And, and so the, it's going to be announced on November
5: 21? Yes, it is. Yes. Uh, you know, I'm honoured to even be there with such accomplished mm. – our charity is really just a baby. Hmm. Um, it's, you know, we um, have come a long way in three and a half years, but we've got a long way to go because I don't think we'll ever be redundant, unfortunately.
2: No, but it's certainly – obviously like a businesswoman. You identified a hole that needed to be filled, and you've done a great job. Congratulations, and I hope people do go to au. And I would, I would have thought there'd be a lot of um, smart small business people listening to this now who might think it's a great idea to sponsor one of your machines. Yeah, it's
5: a great legacy to leave behind.
2: And how much does it cost to sponsor a machine? Uh, it's a $10,000 machine, yeah.
5: um, which – enables us to be able to ensure that we can stock
2: that machine as well. All right, Rochelle, thanks for joining us on the program.
5: Thank you so much.
2: Well, that was Rochelle Courtney from Share the Dignity. And Rochelle was you know, a little bit confused about what award we were talking about. She's been nominated for two, as she made, made the point. And the one we were talking about, which is announced in, in November 21, is for the CEO magazine, uh, As you can see, this is a woman who really deserves many accolades. And now, without any further ado, we're going to another ad break. And now, a word from our sponsors.
1: Have you got a home loan? Do you know what you're being charged? Check your rate, and if it's more than 3.89%, call us at Switzer Home Loans. Our rate for a variable home loan is 3.89%. That's right... 3.89% is all you'll pay. Interested? Call 1300 664 339 or Google Switzer Home Loans.
0: Too many people spend money they earned to buy things they don't want to impress people that they don't like. So stick with Switzer and get rich. Where are me teeth?
2: And remember, as I always say, With the Switzer home loan, the 3.89% is the headline rate, which is exactly the same as the comparison rate of interest, 3.89%. Now, our next guest is a gentleman by the name of Brett Olson, who is our first competition winner. Uh, The Switzer Dividend Growth Fund gave away $10,000, and the prize is that the $10,000 goes into the fund. Brett Olson, welcome to the program. So Brett, you entered into our competition and you've won ten thousand dollars, which is going to go into the Switzer dividend growth fund. Can you tell me how long ago you actually put in the application?
0: Uh, I think it was about two months ago. Okay, great. And did you? Oh, you get a friend and you get an extra entry. So I put it all over Facebook
2: as well. <laughs> Real good, fantastic, fantastic. <laughs> That's it's great to see you're creative. So. Are you a person who plays the the, um, the stock market?
0: Uh, not at the moment, mm. uh, but I have in the past.
2: Oh, okay, okay. So um, uh, in, in, w- what do you know about the fund itself?
0: Uh, seems to be an ETF um, focused on um, income producing. Yep. Um, paying out every quarter yep. from what it looks like.
2: Yep. And... and, and can I ask you this question? That's personal, but we've become mates on the on the radio already. So, so how old are you, Brett? <laughs>
0: uh forty-seven.
2: Okay, so th- this is is oh, yeah, that's quite... only
0: fair. I should ask you how old you are. Peter.
2: Yeah, it was a good question, mate. I'm sixty-four, but I'm covering that age up, okay? <laughs> don't tell anybody. <laughs> so, so Brett, but, that was okay. it's,
3: it's Paul Ricard here, Brett. That was a very straight answer from Peter. There, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to
2: lie. I'm a young-looking sixty-four, healthy and fit, and carrying on. because <laughs> I'm I um, hope I'm that good at 64. <laughs> Don't worry, you will be when you hang out with the Switzers, mate. <laughs> now, look, look, but Paul, um, you know, for someone like Brett, age 47, he's it, kind of at the age when you start balancing up between getting growth in your in your assets and also making sure you're getting reasonable income, isn't it?
3: Yeah, 47 is a fantastic age, Peter. Mm. And it is, uh, as you say, that position where a lot of people uh, are thinking about retirement. Still... Mm obviously got time a long way to go for in your case Brett but I think it's also time perhaps when you start to think as well about the risk in your portfolio and Mm. just that balance between uh, growth and income which is probably the the hardest thing for many investors to get that right and to adjust that as your age and your circumstances and your financial situation changes and I think Switch so to different growth fund. You know, it's a bit of both. It's it's still uh, obviously going to give growth, but it is also designed to provide income. So, uh, in some ways, it's a, a slightly less risky part of the way to invest in equities, and yeah. uh, and I think that's one of the reasons that you were so. Well, you saw a need for it and were
2: strong about the way that was the way we put yeah. together. Yeah, and I'm really happy. We did about 11.76% when you, you gross up the, the, the dividend, didn't we, Paul, last year?
3: Yeah, the returns have been pretty good. Just paid a, a big frank dividend, and, um, and Brett's getting in at a good time yeah. uh, because the market's come back a little bit. And, mm. um, you know, so I, I, I probably should just ask you, Brett, what else, other sort of stocks have you got in your portfolio? Um, I used
0: to have some... Um, indexing funds, but I sort of looked at them, those lately. But in comparison to real estate, where you're lucky to get a 5% return, I think the, um, the switch of funds, I think, producing 11% per annum.
2: Yeah, that, around, around yeah, 100%. yeah, and that has capital gain in there. But I think our our, our actual dividend was around the five or six percent. Yeah, so it should be producing an income of around about five percent. Is sort of what we're targeting.
3: And yeah. uh, so, how does that sort of measure up in terms of? You said you you were in some index based funds, and you've been in and out of real estate, or
0: um, currently in real estate. But you're always getting a call from a managing agent. Um, you know, <laughs> something is <that's> repairing. <laughs> There's always rates in the mail. You know, then the water followed by the water. It just seems to be a never-ending drain on the cash flow.
2: Yeah, and it's it's funny, Brett. I I spoke at the property conference recently, and that's the point I made. I said, yeah, both assets are really good, but the the beauty about a collection of shares is there's no tenant. There's no real estate agent. There are no repairs. And if you buy at the right time, it it, it can be a really rewarding experience.
0: And you can scale it up without extra rates, um, mm. Extra maintenance and problems with
3: tenants, yeah. or, or, or scale it down. You, very hard to sell that that fourth bedroom. <laughs> that's right. We need liquidity. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You know? Whereas, of course, you know, and, and that's you know, things like Switzerland different growth fund. Because the, the trader's size is so small, you can invest from as little as five hundred dollars. Mm. You can sell parcels as small as five hundred dollars, even less. So yeah. it is a way if you need liquidity for some reason to uh, rebalance or to you know go for that holiday or or help with some other investment, it's really easy to get. So yeah. that's one of the other, you know, often people talk about see shares and property as sort of, you know, left and right. But in some ways, I'm believer in both assets, but they have very different characteristics. And mm. one of the advantages of, of shares over properties is the
2: very easy way you can create liquidity. Yeah. And Brett, have you ever thought about or are you in a self-managed super fund?
0: Um, not in one. I don't really have the size of a of an account hmm. large enough to justify the administration. Yeah.
2: Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Cause I've got to say, in many ways, I, 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 that's, when I had, had a balance big enough, that's when I started self managed super fund, and that's when you can actually drive your costs down. That's a, a very good point. Now, Brett, uh, congratulations, mate, and thanks for being a participant in our radio podcast. You're you're a pretty good piece of talent. I've got to say. Thanks very much, Peter. (laughs) And and let's hope that fund of mine keeps heading up. And thanks for joining us on the program.
0: Okay, thanks,
2: Mike. So it was Brett Olson, our inaugural winner of the $10,000 going into the Switzerland Dividend Growth Fund. Paul, it was a pretty good idea, wasn't
3: it? It was a great idea. Thanks, Brett, for uh, entering and, um, you know... Look, always pays to have a go at these things but look i think it also gave us a chance peter to talk about the fund what it's trying to achieve and mm. and how you can use it in a portfolio and i think uh, hopefully brett will uh, see that investment to not only pay a great quarterly distribution mm. but also see it grow in time paul once again it's great to have you back and great to be able to give that away and of course they're units so he's mm. going to end up with we'll have ten thousand dollars worth of units in the switzerland dividend growth fund so yeah let's hope They give him both the return and the growth that he's looking for.
2: Yeah, let's hope it turns into $100,000 in double quick time. That's the show for today, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining us. And we'll see you next week or talk to you next week with the Switzer (laughs) Show.